Hello and welcome to the Climate Chats podcast. My name is Christian Friedrich. Today's guest in our podcast is Dr. Kathleen Marr. Kathleen Marr is the scientific lead of the research group Climate Action in National and International Processes, CLIMACT, at the Institute for Advanced Sustainability Studies in Potsdam, Germany. Welcome, glad to have you here. Thank you. Would you mind telling us a bit about yourself and your career, both as a researcher and as far as, as, far, as, far as I understand it, you're also a, a practitioner in the field of, of um, politics and climate action? Yeah, sure. So... As you mentioned, um, my position currently is at the Institute for Advanced Sustainability Studies in Potsdam, Germany, but I started out in the US, that's where I'm from, and I did a PhD in atmospheric chemistry, so started out in the very hard physical sciences. Mm -hmm. After my PhD, I left the pure research world and I joined the US Environmental Protection Agency, where I spent four years working on implementing the U.S. Clean Air Act, which regulates air pollution and now also regulates CO2 as a climate pollutant. Um, since 2012, I've been at the ISS. And my work at ISS is part research, but part action, if you want to mm -hmm. call it that. And that involves engagement in political processes. Um, in my research group, we're focused on primarily international level political processes on climate, but also air pollution. And so there's two big um, yeah, political organizations that I do work in. One is the UNFCCC. This is the um, yeah, UN organization on climate. It's mm -hmm. kind of the umbrella organization of the Paris Agreement, which I think most people know of. Um, I'm also quite involved with something called the Climate and Clean Air Coalition, This is a transnational coalition dedicated to making progress on both climate and air quality at the same time. Okay. Transnational means that there's country partners. It's not all the countries of the world like uh, the UNFCCC, but there's country partners, but there's also partners of the coalition from science, from NGOs, uh, from civil society. So there, my institute ISS is a partner and work in a different way on um, advancing climate protection and also improvement of air quality. Okay, thank you. Um, we just had a brief pre-conversation to, to the podcast and we both have been kind of struck over the weekend the last couple of weeks by a more, uh, by a quite severe outbreak of uh, Corona, uh, the, the COVID-19 virus. Um, by the time that we're recording this, it's um, uh, I think March 13, uh, if, if my calendar is right. So um, we're, we're recording this a bit before we are going to publish it but um you you came in 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 here and uh, voiced the the idea of um talking a bit about how climate change on the one hand and health risks and public health kind of overlap or intersect if i if i got this if i got this right um yeah would you mind just expanding a bit on that yeah gladly i mean my entry into the world of um environmental science and also politics it started in air quality and then my interest expanded to climate and i focus on both but one thing about climate change that i think is maybe not that widely understood in the general public is that climate change is a significant health risk as well mm -hmm. and so as we've been having uh, fairly swift reactions to contain the coronavirus 
I can't help but thinking in my work, uh, you know, this is an example of fast action. How can we learn something and apply this to climate change? But maybe to go back to the health topic, um, sure, we think about rising temperatures. Um, in mm. Europe, it's the case that, in Western Europe and Germany, it's the case that the uh, most dangerous health risk related to climate change is due to heat waves mm -hmm. and then elderly people or people who are already sick um, can die from this. This already happens when we have heat waves. We've had some in the past, but this is predicted to significantly increase um, mm -hmm. under climate change scenarios. Even if we manage to stay under two degrees, we'd still have an increase in heat waves. So this is one recommendation that has been made is to really make sure our healthcare systems are prepared for this, for increasing heat waves and what this would mean for the population. Because extremes tend to become more extreme and more and more extreme over, over time. Yeah, mm -hmm. longer heat waves, um, having a greater percentage of your summer essentially be a heat wave and then mm -hmm. also higher temperatures then okay. have um, health effects that go along with that. Another significant health risk of climate change from a Western European perspective is that uh, zones for mosquitoes are expected mm -hmm. to expand. It's already the case that um, mosquitoes that could transmit uh, Zika virus have been found in Canada. And based on experts I talk to, it's really only a matter of time that these uh, mosquitoes also make it to Europe. So there's this kind of potential spread for disease that if you start thinking of it can be quite scary. And there's also more indirect health impacts of climate change, especially thinking about the globe that um, climate change is expected to increase droughts, uh, lead to more food insecurity. This leads to malnutrition. This also leads to health problems and especially children are at risk uh, for malnutrition, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So when, Right now, um, I and most of the people I know are spending a lot of time reading every update about the coronavirus. I think it's worth saying that in addition to being prepared for threats like this, um, we need to make sure that we're taking the, the health risks of climate change very seriously when preparing for the future. You've pointed out a couple of examples that are like the, the rising temperature, extreme heat waves, um, mosquitoes that um, transmit the, the Zika virus um, that are kind of almost scenarios where um, if, you, if you look at like sci-fi movies from the 90s, that's kind of the scenario that you're describing there, like extreme heat waves, drought, um, flooding, that, that kind of thing that... but what goes for those movies but also from from my perspective um these scenarios quite often focus on the world where the research about that is mostly being done from from what i can tell so um do you think there's to some extent a tendency to pay more attention and pay closer attention to scenarios that affect the so-called Western world or the so-called global North more severely than other parts of the world? I do think so. And this is certainly um, a climate justice issue. It's It comes down to, okay, in the industrialized Western worlds, we are the ones that have emitted most of the CO2 mm -hmm. that's responsible for climate change. 
we're also the ones in the best position to adapt and adjust because of resources, essentially. So I do think that's true. And without more or less, I, I think I would like to see a world in which we all feel more solidarity to our fellow human beings across the globe, to future generations, etc. But I think communicating on the health risks of climate change to the Western world about the Western world is also an opportunity because maybe it can get people to act when it's more in their self-interest or even, you know, without trying to, uh, yeah, make it seem like a moral issue. I mean, when, if you start to talk about health impacts of climate change, if that's a way in which people can can get it and which mm-hmm. which can kind of close the distance between the abstract co- concept of climate change and okay how how can that affect my life i think there's a possibility to have greater willingness to act on climate change both to mitigate reduce emissions and also prepare um as as is necessary to prepare mm-hmm. yeah i find it interesting because The, the last episode, and um, to be fair, you can't know this because by the time that we are recording that it has not been published yet. But the last episode we had uh, Dr. Christiane Fröhlich um, on and she made the point that climate change and is always a social justice issue from a global perspective. That um, like the, the way that you pointed it out, it's always uh, it needs to take into consideration different uh, forms of social justice and to... Yeah, to make sense actually. But what I also am 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 hearing, if if I got this right, I'm kind of reminded of a blog post that I um, just read for that that you authored. I think a couple of weeks ago, if I'm if I'm not right, uh, if I'm right, it's uh, titled "Outrage versus Empathy: A Culture Clash in Climate Communication." And you kind of, it seems to me like you're making a, at least a similar argument here as you're making in that blog co- blog post. And just to paraphrase that. You need different, let's call it strands of communication on, on the one hand for the more, um, let, let's call it a pragmatist view, like a very, sometimes even a self-serving, self-centered view of, of communicating uh, and to, to serve groups who, who feel that way, maybe for lack of a better word. Um, but also that there's a different strand of communicating about climate change and climate change mitigation that is more, let's say, radical and more... Um, Not, not going to say straightforward, maybe, but but more in the face, so to speak. Would you do you see those ex- same parallels in in this in public health and climate change, or how would you how would you feel about that? Yeah, um, yeah. The blog post you're referring to is based on reflections I had after a conference on climate communication that I helped mm-hmm. organize um, together with the German Climate Consortium. And it was two days all about climate communication. On the one hand, I was really struck by and have been struck over the past year how much energy Greta Thunberg and Fridays for Future has created, how much attention they're getting. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, most people sitting in this um, more academic style conference on co- climate communication were focusing on things like, okay, um, let's talk about co-benefits of climate mitigation. Let's talk about the good things that renewable energies can bring for jobs and for health. Or let's approach communities that are facing um, coal phase out with more empathy and involve them a different way to design their future. And 
I think both have their value. And when it gets mm-hmm. back to the question of communication, I think maybe it's the the most basic thing that any communication scientist knows already is about knowing your audience and how you communicate communicate things. Um, I think, yeah, related to public health, I think for better or for worse, it is the case that for uh, Germany, for Western Europe, for the U.S. to act on climate-related health risks, it's probably going to come mostly out of self-interest. And um, But, of course, I think it, we shouldn't not be discussing uh, what our kind of moral responsibilities are. And for some people that is really motivating. And mm-hmm. for NGOs who do do work that purposely are trying to, or that are focusing on strengthening climate resilience in communities that don't have resources in much of the global South. Mm-hmm. But you would still make the argument that somebody has to make the, let's call it the pragmatist's argument um, to, to some extent to, to reach those audience for actual change. Yeah, I mean, I think at my heart, I'm definitely a pragmatist in part. I think mm-hmm. it's clear that we need action. Um, we need action sooner rather than later, although I don't think um, focusing on the pressure to act now is really all that productive. But we need action. We need action sooner rather than later. So why not get people together to support the action we mm-hmm. need regardless of what their political leanings are or what their mm-hmm. motivations are. But if we can agree to prepare more for the health impacts of climate change and at the same time also mitigate uh, more emissions so that we have less climate change, then that's a good thing. Okay, got it. I think I got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, We will provide links to both the blog post, but also to the institutions and the, the Paris Climate Agreement that actually, I think you are the first guest mentioning it on the podcast. Really? So that's, okay. that's a premiere of sorts. So we'll link to that as well. Um, I have one final question for you. Uh, and I've asked all previous podcast guests um, be before you uh, the very much, very much the same question. And it goes like this. If you had to name one pragmatic means of climate action that our listeners can take uh, to tackle climate change, what, what would that be? What kind of recommendations would you have for them? I have two recommendations. The first one would be to consider getting pub, uh, politically active in your own community. And it can be a small community, your neighborhood. There are some really great and interesting initiatives going on in Berlin night right now where people really at a neighborhood level organize and say, hey, We want to improve our neighborhood. We want to reduce its carbon footprint. We also want to make it greener and mm-hmm. make it more fun for kids and more bike friendly. And I think this can really be the start. This is how to build up collective action on climate change, which is something we definitely need. Mm-hmm. My second tip is on the individual level. At the conference on climate communication that I mentioned, There was a project done where students developed some social media campaigns related to communication on some climate topic. And one group developed a really great campaign, it's in German, um, to get people to sign up to the idea that they would not fly uh, for short distances. Like they okay. wouldn't get in a plane if it was only short distances. So it's mm-hmm. called Untertausend mach ich's nicht. Okay. So in English is... 
under a thousand, I won't do it. Uh Um, And they developed this clever campaign, but the basic premise is to say, okay, if my, if the trip is less than a thousand kilometers, I will do it by train or some other method, or maybe not do it at all, but under a thousand kilometers, it's really not necessary to fly. And this campaign was taken up uh, by the scientists for future group in Mm -hmm. Germany. Um, and I think it's a great one. And I've also then personally done it for myself to said, you, you know, you're right. Um, I don't feel like I'm in a situation where I'm going to give up flying altogether. My family's in the United States, for instance, but under a thousand kilometers, there is no need for me to fly. So mm-hmm. I feel, I feel good about that. And it's very concrete and you can join a little movement there. Nice. We'll link to both the social media campaign, but also to all the other resources and institutions that you just mentioned, um, as, I, as I said before. Um, if you, dear listeners, would like to listen to our podcast on a regular basis, please consider subscribing. It is free and it will always be free. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, but the easiest way to subscribe is to use the podcast app on your phone, search for Climate Chats and click subscribe. There, you will have access to additional links and resources. Of course, you can also listen to us by visiting the website of the Worldwide Online Climate Conference, Climate 2020. If you like our podcast or if you disliked anything, we'd really appreciate your feedback. Simply email us at contact at dl4sd.org or find us on Twitter at ftz underscore nk underscore Hamburg. Thank you again, Dr. Marr, for taking the time. Thank you. And see you soon on the Climate Chats podcast. Take care.